On this prequel episode, we've got a Remains of the Day fan poll follow-up. We're learning about Orson Scott Card and previewing Ender's Game. Hello and welcome back to this film is like the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have a ton to get to this week, so we're just going to get right into it with our patron shoutouts. We have no new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners, and they are Paul, Kat Ensminger, Ben Wilcox, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Jumped the gun on the name because I'm excited for the bugs, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young, Scratch, just scratch. Shelby says Monsters and Mayhem is out now. That darn skag. V. Frank, if 266,667 patrons donate at the Academy Award winner level, Katie and Brian can buy British House of Lords seats in June. And Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much. I did the math. That many patrons at the $15 level is $4 million. And so I'm guessing there's a way you can somehow buy. I don't know. I think I did know that you could buy your way into the House of Lords. I also did the most nominal amount of research (laughs) about what the House of Lords is. And so it is just lords and stuff. But the they don't really have much of a they like sign off on bills and stuff. And they can kind of like send bills back down to the House of Commons, which is like the actual. Mm -hmm. But they don't have, like, they can't technically veto any. They can't technically do anything. Basically, they can just, like, harumph and say, consider this again. We don't like it, basically, is what it sounded like. So they can't outright veto something, but they can, like, keep it in it, And at in, least like, for a little bit. Not, uh-huh. not, no, no, not in perpetuity. Like, I don't know. It sounded like they have like basically like we'll listen if you have out, you know, if you have something to say about this bill we're passing, we'll hear what you have to say. But we also can just pass it, I think, is what it sounded like. But they do kind of have like some vestigial say, but not really. Again, it's hard to explain. Anyways, but apparently you can buy your way on. Uh, I don't know. I refuse to look it up. So interesting. You know, I, I honestly I have to say. Even given how little we know about British politics, I feel like we could do better than a bunch of guys who just, like, were born into government. Oh, us? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think we, <laughs> I think we could do better. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we definitely could. I'm team us. Yeah. Uh, and then our other name change patron jumped the gun on the name. I can't remember now what their previous name was, but I did, I think, speculate that it was in you relation did. to Ender's Game. Yeah. But I cannot recall what it was now, so... Confirming that it was, in fact, an Ender's Game reference. All righty. Before we get to talking about Ender's Game, we've got our fan poll follow-up for the remains of the day. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right. So on Patreon, we have three votes for the book and one for the movie. We got several comments. Lost Remote Control said, The book wins by default. I tried to watch this and fell asleep. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair. Um, Vinny the Fungus said, Oh, I chose the movie. I dislike the type of dry satire the story is going for. I just dislike the movie a bit less. Fair enough. I am really looking forward to the Ender's Game episode, though. And also to answer Brian's question of was the Ender's Game movie a bad adaptation or just sucks as a movie, my answer is yes. Interesting. So uh, an exciting preview of what's to come there. Ben Wilcox said, haven't read the book, but I enjoyed the movie. Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson are both brilliant. Listening to you get everything wrong about British history and politics was painful. I think at one point you said the Magna Carta was the 1640s. It was. I looked it up. It was. I'm going to excuse myself from that narrative. I didn't talk about the Magna Carta I at also, all. We also, in numerous times, specifically said that we were very wrong. Yes. Very. Now, I, I, what I no, said was vague, but was technically correct. The Magna Carta was 1215. Uh, see, that's what I thought. Yeah. You kept saying the Magna Carta. There was Carta, something in was 1640s like, that isn't was. that old? There was something in the 1640s. Never mind. Continue. Sorry. Um, 
And sadly, the House of Lords is still very much a thing, though it shouldn't be. It was reformed a bit a while back to reduce the number of hereditary members, but they just got replaced by a bunch of life peers, people who get a non-inheritable lordship just by donating a bunch of money to the prime minister's party. So maybe that's what that's the, what they're uh, talking that's what about. That's yeah. a reference to. Also, there are a bunch of Anglican bishops who also automatically sit in the House of Lords. It's kind of a mess. But again, from my reading, the House of Lords doesn't have a ton of power, it sounded like. But again, it's it's like they can do stuff, but like not, I don't know. Anyways, from the very minimal amount of reading that I could bring myself to do about British politics, (laughs) uh, it didn't. It says they scrutinize bills that have been approved by the House of Commons and regularly reviews and amends bills from the commons while it is unable to prevent bills from passing into law, except in certain limited circumstances, it can delay bills and force the commons to reconsider their decisions. So it's somewhat of a check on the house of commons. But again, from my, it sounded to me like they have like a minimal amount of power, but probably still too much considering it's just a bunch of rich people and hereditary, (laughs) like, you know? Yeah. And yeah. apparently Anglican bishops. Yeah. Uh, and Eli So just Young's, all the worst people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and Eli Young's, uh, the patron who requested The Remains of the Day, said, I vote for the book. The movie does an impressive job adapting a story that's almost entirely inner monologue, but ultimately I found the book's layers of psychology to be deeper and more engaging. So we agree. I never found the novel boring, so we disagree. But maybe my tolerance is higher than most. I did recommend Solaris after all. Well, I didn't find Solaris the novel boring or the film. I read that one. I found the film. A the film boring. I can see. <laughs> I could see people finding boring, and I could see people finding the remains of the day boring. I think it's less to do with tolerance. I mean, I guess that is to some extent it, but it's also just what you enjoy. Yeah, just like what interests if you, you. Yeah, if you are into a type of you know thing. But I guess that is a sense like it is something that I think most people, a lot of people might kind of consider somewhat boring, mm-hmm. you know. But that being said, I didn't find the remains of the day movie boring. Um, you know, it's slow. It's it is what it is. But I didn't find it like boring necessarily. So I didn't I mean, I didn't find either thing like wholly boring. Yeah. Just like not neither of them were a book or a movie that I probably would have picked on my own. Mm-hmm. Like I probably would have read the synopsis and been like, that doesn't sound, doesn't sound like a thing that I'm into. Me. Yeah. That's fair. But there were, there were like parts of them that I liked and did not think were boring. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on Facebook, we had three votes for the book and two for the movie. Ian sent us a message, um, like way before we even did either of these episodes, I think, and said, hello from Italy. Hope you don't mind if I preempt the vote a little early. Between ships and some ports still being closed, I don't know when I can get online next. Mm, that's right. Is he, this is Ian I think this is our, our, Navy, Navy, our Navy friend. Potentially, yes. Yeah. I believe British Navy. Yeah, I remember there was somebody yeah. in the British Navy, I think. In regards to the remains of the day, just downloaded the prequel episode and will listen later. My vote is for the movie. Honestly, didn't know there was a book, so I know I'm a little one-sided here. Remains is perhaps the ultimate British film. So assuming this person is British, <laughs> they have confirmed. <laughs> yes, assuming that we're right that, that Ian, we're correct is in that British, Ian is British, yes. uh, I feel vindicated. Uh, everything is subdued and under the surface with the quintessential repressed okay. emotions of my people. My people, there you go. And a very English sense of duty. The comedian Eddie Izzard pokes fun at these the sort of dramas with people walking in and out of rooms going, oh, hello, what is it, Sebastian? Uh, nothing, just about to go on a walk, would you care to join? No, I'm arranging matches. Oh, I guess I better go. Yes, you better add. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep, that's it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. I honestly take such delight at the fact that Anthony Hopkins never says what he actually wants to say to Emma Thompson and just buries it deep down inside of him. You can find the same under-the-surface level meaning in other BBC and ITV dramas, but for me, The Remains of the Day is king above all. If I'm flicking through TV and catch it on, I will watch it even with a fun Ryan Reynolds action flick on the other channel. British people are just built different. (laughs) That is wild to me. <laughs> I cannot fathom flipping through channels and turning on the remains of the day. <laughs> but but 
Uh, you know, fair, fair play. The acting is brilliant all around. Always a fan of Fox, I get James and Edward confused with each other. I've always wondered how Christopher Reeves felt about being in something so quirky and British. He strikes me as the type that just went along with the flow. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it has been confirmed. Quintessentially British, and they <laughs> apparently love it. Or at least this one. It's a, it's a small sample size, but this one Brit in our audience is on board. And he wasn't even influenced by our episode. He hadn't heard the episode. He, this hadn't is heard, before... he hadn't heard either episode, according yeah. to this. Yeah. And now for a totally different comment. Uh, James said, there's this underlying pretentiousness from early 90s British movies that I cannot stand. Remains of the Day, Howard's End, Sense and Sensibility, etc. Well, well, Remains of the Day and Howard End are both uh, uh, same James, director, same director yeah. James Ivory, and both have Anthony Hopkins and might both have Emma Thompson. So they're like the same movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, we have fancy accents, dope costumes, and we're generally melancholy, so please give us an Oscar pass the book seems to come from a more art for the sake of art and not oscar bait so that's why i chose the book fair enough fair enough i enjoyed the movie but i get your point and you know i (laughs) I think too that like i i want to acknowledge that something being pretentious doesn't necessarily mean it's bad right i think you can have things that are pretentious and also good art yeah um but but yeah, when you've got something, ooh, ooh. that was a big one. Ooh, it's storming so it's here. It's storming. If you get background, I'm just gonna leave it in because I'm not it's editing. Just, it'll just be ambiance. Yeah, it's ambiance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think when something is like Oscar bait, that's often like what we mean by Oscar bait. It's, apt uh, it's back- a little bit pretentious. Yes. This is apt backing sound effects for both our discussion of the remains of the day. It feels very British, uh-huh. but also <laughs> for discussing Orson Scott Card. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> No, you know what? No, he doesn't get this kind of ambiance. This is good ambiance. Well. He doesn't get it. I, okay. I meant more the impending doom sort of feel of the th- Yes. Okay. And our last comment on Facebook was from Crystal, who said, I didn't read the book, and from the description, it doesn't seem like my cup of tea. I did watch the movie, though, because, well, Emma Thompson. I liked it well enough, but I don't think it's really rewatchable. Like, if a friend were to ask me about it, I'll recommend it, but they'll be on their own. Yeah, I would agree. I have no interest yeah, yeah, to, I like, think ever rewatch this movie. That's a fair assessment. Uh, it's a good movie, but I don't think I would ever rewatch no. it. And I would, I would caveat my recommendation to a friend very... I would admit, you know what I mean? I wouldn't recommend mm-hmm. it to just anybody. Like, if somebody came up and was like, I was thinking about watching Remains of the Day, I'd be like, well, yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, if you know what you're getting in for, it's a very, <laughs> you know... Very That's British fair. movie. Like I, I would yeah, caveat. I, I my... wouldn't recommend it to everyone. No, like some people, not even I close. might be like, I don't know if you'd like that. Yeah, like it's you know two hours long and it's very slow, methodical British drama. Mm-hmm. Like, like if that sounds I, like you're into it, then I would absolutely. I think she's already seen it, but I would absolutely recommend it to my mom. Yes, love yeah. you, mom. Um, I would absolutely recommend this to my mom. Uh, would I recommend it to? Um, like, I wouldn't recommend this to most of my coworkers. Yeah. You know no. what I mean? Like, or, like, most of my friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe a couple people I can think of. But, it, yeah, my parents, they've also probably mm-hmm. already seen it. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get any comments anywhere else. Uh, we did get a couple votes. I think our poll got buried on Twitter. Well <laughs> we got one vote for the book and one for the movie wow. on Twitter. We got, like, another five votes that said they hadn't, like, read it or right. watched it. But... That's a, a, it was a stunningly low response on Twitter for us. Yeah. Uh, and on Instagram, we had three votes for the book and two for the movie, which makes our listener polls winner the book. The book won. With 10 votes to the movie's six. Wild. So it was fairly close. Fairly close and very low turnout. So it's hard to know when you, <laughs> when you have such small numbers. Yeah, it's, it's not a great sample size. It's not a great size. sample size, so. All right, we have a lot to talk about with Mr. Orson Scott Card, so let's get into it. Times are changing and I'm getting old. Are you gonna hold me accountable? My bed is empty and I'm getting cold. Isn't anybody gonna hold me accountable? Uh, I'm problematic. He's a problem. So just so uh, we're all on the same page, um, Orson Scott Card. An American author, uh, best known for his science fiction works, um, particularly Ender's Game. 
and its sequels. Mm -hmm. So that's who he is. At this point, uh, Carta's pretty well known for being a douche nozzle. This is not a surprise to most people. Uh, And in fact, upon announcing this episode, we got several comments about it, like across platforms. Yeah. Um, But I was particularly interested in doing this. I mean, we're always going to do this segment, but I was particularly interested in it because at least speaking for myself, I knew that he had that reputation of like, this guy sucks. Yeah. Uh, But I didn't really know why. I didn't know any details. I just kind of didn't really know anything about Orson Scott Card. And uh, oh boy. Yes. Yeah, I I was the same boat. I I had heard like oh he he was vaguely he had been vaguely homophobic. It, again, I say vaguely because I hadn't heard any mm-hmm. of the other than just I knew something about him being homophobic or whatever, and that was like all that I. That was knew. like the understatement of the year. Yes. <laughs> something about him being homophobic <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. Okay. So strap in, y'all. Uh, content warnings for racism, misogyny, and lots of homophobia, uh, particularly the kind that intersects with accusations of oh, pedophilia. So topical. Fantastic. I know. I know so topical. Okay. Uh, we'll start with some background information. We're going to start out with his politics. Um, so Card, on different occasions, has referred to himself as a... Moynihan, 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 yeah. or a blue dog Democrat, yeah. uh, both of which, from my understanding, are basically just a way to say centrist. Yeah, he's actually one of the weird ones, from what I remember of what blue dog Democrats tend to be, <laughs> is the weirdest version of 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 what you can be, which is like fiscally left leaning but socially conservative, which is very strange to me. But anyways, yeah. um. But I don't think it has to be that. I think it could be either. I think you could. It's just somebody who's kind of a centrist, but yeah. and has like centristy. Know. Yeah. Uh, he's also described himself as a moral conservative, but has said that he's not a conservative because he has beliefs that don't align with the typical conservative party line, including beliefs on issues like immigration, gun control, and the death penalty. Ah. Uh, he said that in a 2020 interview with everybody's favorite Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic um, however that name him being interviewed by him does not yeah, surprise no, me no zero shock there zero this is my shocked face <laughs> um however he has been pretty uh, he's pretty solidly supported conservative republican politicians uh, including john mccain in 2008 newt gingrich in Oof. 2012 right what a pick <laughs> And uh, everybody's favorite, Donald Trump, in 2016. Um, as a little bit of, of uh, additional background info, he's also a practicing member of the LDS Church. Interesting. Um, so he's a Mormon. That will be important later. It comes up in the book so far. There, well, I say it comes it up, but there's like uh, somebody mentioned Mormons at one point, I'm pretty sure. Well, they mentioned several religions because we live in a future where religion is outlawed, basically. Mm-hmm. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, Okay, so now let's touch on the racism. Uh, In May 2013, Card published an essay titled Unlikely Events, uh, which he described as an experiment in fiction writing. In the essay, uh, he described an alternative future in which President Barack Obama has amended the U.S. Constitution to allow presidents to remain in power for life and rules as a, quote, Hitler or Stalin-style dictator. Fantastic. Uh, He also, in the essay, attributed Obama's success to being a, quote, black man who talks like a white man, parentheses, that's what they mean by calling him articulate and a great speaker, close parentheses, end quote. The the essay also drew criticism for its references to urban gangs. Um, I have not read this essay, and I will not be. No. Um, I did read a couple other things that were horrifying. Well, there's there's (laughs) one moment in this book in the first, uh, early on, that my jaw dropped. And now I know this book was written in 1985, but even still, it has actually, I found out, and I I don't have a note about it, I don't know if you do, there's an updated version. Yeah, I have a note about it. That removes the part that made my full jaw hit the fucking floor like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) 
Um, I didn't, so I didn't find anything quite so blatant as that and or what's coming uh, in regard to like uh, your garden variety misogyny. Mm. Uh, although I did see some excerpts from the Ender series that were questionable at best. Uh, including, yes, this, um, I have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, a line from Ender's Game about girls rarely getting into battle school because there are, quote, too many centuries of evolution working against them. Yeah. Um, and keeping that in mind with some of the other stuff we're about to go through, it seems like that's something that's pretty baked into his worldview. Yes. He, he very clearly has a, a very traditionalist, like, archaic yeah. sense of gender and gender roles and all that sort of stuff like very clearly because yeah. yes i flagged that immediately it's very early in the book about how um yeah about how very like only a handful of of girls ever end up like qualifying mm -hmm. for battle school because they just they're not smart enough they're not good enough they're not good enough murderers <laughs> i beg to differ uh, another of his works that's often flagged as espousing some, we'll say, dubious conservative views is his 2006 novel Empire, which is about a civil war between progressive and conservative extremists in America. Uh, that novel was a finalist for the Prometheus Award, an award given by the Libertarian <laughs> Futurist Society. So make of that what you will. Libertarian Futurist Society. Sounds like a joke on fucking Futurama <laughs> or something. <laughs> so now we come to the big one, uh, the dick watery that Card is most known for, which is his homophobia. Mm. Now, without even getting into his fiction yet. Yeah. Um, Card has publicly declared his support of laws against homosexual activity and same-sex marriage. In a way that is astounding from what I have heard yes, recently. Yes, in a, in a way that is astounding. <laughs> yes. He's not trying to hide it. No, and it's not even not trying to hide it. It's not trying to hide his power level. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's one thing to be like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. It, yeah, it, it is, it's... He 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 goes beyond, and you'll get into it. But he, his his views go well beyond even your garden variety conservative yeah. views about like yeah. homosexuality. <laughs> he and has stuff. a lot of opinions, yeah. and all of them are strong. Um, in his 1990 essay. A changed man, the hypocrites of homosexuality. Uh, he argued that laws against homosexual behavior should not be, quote, indiscriminately enforced against anyone who happens to be caught violating them, but only used when necessary to send a clear message to those who flagrantly violate society's regulation. Um, so we're going to punish people for being gay, yep. basically. Yes. Uh, in a 2004 column, he argued against legalizing gay marriage, calling the notion anti-family and basically arguing that it would bring about the fall of democracy. Um, <laughs> quote, so if my friends insist on calling what they do marriage, they are not turning their relationship into what my wife and I have created. Instead, they are attempting to strike a death blow against the well-earned protective status of our and every other very real marriage. They won't be married. They'll just be playing dress up in their parents' clothes. So very charming stuff. Yes. Um, now I'm not going to list out every single article he wrote that follows this similar line, because honestly, that could be its own episode. We would be here all night uh -huh. if I did that. Uh, some recurring highlights include suggesting that gay people need to repent in the church, criticizing any and every advancement towards um, forward as per civil rights, uh, suggesting that all homosexuality is a result of rape and abuse, and repeatedly referring to homosexuality as a, quote, sex role dysfunction and a, quote, collective delusion. Um, quote, normalizing a defunction, a dysfunction will only make ours into a society that corrodes any loyalty to it, as parents see that our laws and institutions now work against the reproductive success, not to mention happiness, of the next generation. Um, I couldn't find anything specific about his views on transgender issues, <laughs> but given this line of thought, I can only imagine... <laughs> I mean, even people who are fairly good on, like, gay marriage and stuff have terrible views. Yeah. I can't. Yes. This man probably, yeah, I can't even fathom. 
And then <laughs> I had to include this because it's it's so blisteringly I don't even know what to call this. In a 2008 column for Mormon Times, he stated, please remember that for the mildest of comments critical of the political agenda of homosexual activists, I have been called a homophobe for years. A term that has mental health implications is now routinely applied to anyone who deviates from the politically correct line. It's so hilarious. I mean, it's not. It's, it's terrible. It's but, not. It's awful. But it's so wild that you can say the things he said and still try to play that card. Yeah. Like, there are people out there that, like, you know, keep it keep their views buttoned up in a way people kind of like Ben Shapiro. He's not very good at it even, but there are people in that vein who have terrible views who keep them buttoned up enough yeah. that, and then play that card about this is, you know, Oh, political correct. Everybody's a homophobe these days. And like, even it's already stupid coming from them, but then but coming, this guy, from, this coming guy? from this guy who literally is argues in favor of throwing gay people in jail. Like it's insanity. Like what? I can't, I just can't fathom that he, he could write that without his pen bursting into flames from the irony. Like, I just don't, I don't understand. So, again, I could go on and on, um, but let's move on to his fiction writing. Because, remember, that wasn't even his fiction. That was no, just his that nonfiction. Was just like his, this is what his I His essay writing, yes, yeah. his opinions. Um, and he has, I don't think I actually have this in my notes, but I did see a quote from him saying that like, oh, I don't consciously write with a political agenda or something. And I'm like, don't you, don't you? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so in Card's fiction, homosexual characters frequently appear in contexts that are easily interpreted as homophobic. And his novel Songmaster uh, takes place in a um, pederastic, I think is how you say uh, that. I guess that would be, I've never heard it used in that um, <laughs> derivation. Yeah, but. a pe pederastic society uh, wherein a man falls in love with a 15-year-old castrato. Uh, of the novel, journalist Aja Romano wrote that their sexual union has creepy overtones that make the teenager unable to have sex again. Um, so we have uh, some nice, like, um, homophobia into, I would almost even call that acephobia. Potentially, like, yeah, potentially. without knowing enough of the details. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, on the subject of that novel, <laughs> Card wrote that he was not trying to show homosexual sex as beautiful. Well, clearly. Clearly. Cl clearly. Um, but it just really did. Maybe I like I, that he had to clarify that based on everything we know about this man. I, look, I wasn't yeah. trying to write a beautiful love letter to homosexuality. No fucking shit, dude. We've heard what you said. I, I, I just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, OK, here's the thing for me is that maybe I'm just so used to talking heads trying to, like, couch their opinions. Right. Yes. And like, kind of hide behind rhetoric. Yeah. That like, this guy, who just openly says every single horrible thing that he thinks exactly as he actually thinks it, I, I, I'm almost impressed. It is nice that you can be like, oh look, that guy fucking sucks, and it's very clear. Everybody can see that, right? We're all done here. Okay, great. Moving on. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no. Um, and in his homecoming series, uh, a gay male character discovers that his homosexuality was determined by his mother's hormone levels during pregnancy. So that's nice. Um, and in his 2008 novella, Hamlet's Father, which reimagines the backstory of Shakespeare's play Hamlet. Hamlet Wait, I will say, hold on. The last note kind of flies in the face of <laughs> I feel like a lot of his other opinions and previously what? about like locking if if homosexuality what? is something that hormones do in the womb which i think there is some there is at least some studies have been done about w why and we, who know there's a million different like you know reasons <laughs> that, or not reasons but there's a million different like factors that could go into it or whatever but 
if this book posits that it's something uncontrollable prior to birth, why then are we throwing them into? I do, okay, great, great. <laughs> I okay. Uh, okay, so uh, in Hamlet's father, uh, Hamlet's friends were sexually abused as children by his uh, pedophilic father, and subsequently identify as homosexual adults, as you do. Uh, when critics pointed out that it seemed like the novel's main purpose was an attempt to link homosexuality with pedophilia, Card's response was essentially, I didn't say that, you did. I didn't say it, I just wrote those words and then you got the most obvious meaning out of them. (laughs) But that's on you. Uh, There's also no shortage of kind of casual homophobia in some of the early parts of Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. Like minimal stuff like 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 um I say minimal. It, it like elementary school style like teasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuz they're all like kids or whatever. So like and I was like, well, maybe, you know. I think you yeah, but it's very clear that Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. indicative of his viewpoints and not necessarily just like trying to create a rather realistic um right. adolescent uh school experience. <laughs> Uh, so again, I could go on. There are so many examples of Orson Scott Card being a homophobic dirtbag. I have very barely scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's plenty out there. If you, for some reason, would like to find more, you can find that quite easily. Uh, and I, I want to kind of wrap this up by bringing this into the present a little bit um, and pointing out that... Uh, even though these quotes and articles are older, many of Card's talking points, um, homosexuality is caused by abuse, it's an aberration of nature and biology, uh, it's a collective delusion that will destroy society if we allow it to continue, uh, are currently being repeated mainly about transgender folks. But We're seeing a research About in, fucking everybody in, lately. In, yeah, yeah, lately. Um, because it is always the same tired arguments with these people. It's always, it's the same thing over and over again. Uh, and they are arguments that fall apart under the slightest scrutiny. Yeah. So that's Orson Scott Card, <laughs> an author who disappointed us. And I don't I, know if he ever didn't. I, 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 I mean, I had, I had low expectations and I was still disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really, really glad that I don't have an emotional childhood attachment to his yep. books. I am, I am sorry, y'all. Yep. That is unfortunate. Woof. Speaking of, let's now talk a little bit about Ender's Game. They know our strategies. They've learned our weaknesses. And the alien attack nearly destroyed us. That must never be allowed to happen again. If we're going to survive, we need a new kind of soldier. One who doesn't think the way we think. Fear the things we fear. One the enemy would never expect. Ender's Game is a 1985 military science fiction novel by the previously discussed Orson Scott Card. Ender's Game began as a short story that provides a small snapshot of Ender's experiences in battle school and command school. Um, Ender's Game was the first science fiction novel published entirely online. It appeared on Delphi and a community forum a year before print publication. I had read that, which is interesting. It's interesting, yeah. yeah. I don't think about... I mean, I know the internet existed. Yeah, I mean, it was something that almost 80s, nobody but yeah, I, I don't had think access of, to. I don't think of that as being like an 80s thing. I, I, yeah, it's one of those things that it's like very... Like yeah, like universities very and stuff, I think, had... A, you know, it was, mm-hmm. yeah. According to Card, Ender's Game was written specifically to establish the character of Ender for his role as the speaker in Speaker of the Dead, um, the outline for which he had written even before novelizing Ender's Game. I did not know that. So it sounds like it was almost like a writing exercise for some other book he wanted to write. And so it's the sequel. Yeah. To, I mean, Speaker of the Dead or For the Dead is the sequel to yeah. Ender's Game. So. Okay. 
it sounds like he wrote the sequel first and then basically yeah, like, well, it's, wrote the it sounds prequel. like it sounds like he had this idea for a book and he was like, Oh, I'm gonna explore this character. Right. And figure out it, how he gets yeah. to the point where he is. And then it turned into that. Ender's game, which is kind of funny considering that's now his most well known novel. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um Card has also stated that some of his influences for the novel included included Isaac Asimov's Foundation series and historian Bruce Catton's work on the American Civil War. I'm not reading this book, so I don't know what that means. I mean, I haven't read Foundation, <laughs> but I, it's one of the most sort of pillar biggest pillars of science fiction literature. Could you yeah, say? I, I, yeah, foundational pi- uh, pillars of of science fiction literature um, in the world. Uh, and I don't know what Bruce yeah, Cowan's work on the American Civil Wars, but I mean is. the book is very much about war and politics uh-huh. and that sort of thing. So I'm sure it's just using that as a framework for some of the like conflict and mm-hmm. political machinations and whatnot. So Ender's Game won the Nebula Award for Best Novel in 1985 uh, and the Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1986. So it won like the two biggest science fiction novel awards, which sucks. Um, yeah, it was also nominated for a Locus Award in 1986. In 2008, the novel, along with Ender's Shadow, won the Margaret A. Edwards Award, which honors an author and specific works by that author for lifetime contributions to young adult literature, which also sucks. Yep. <laughs> the novel yep. has been included on lists such as Modern Library 100 Best Novels, the ALA's 100 Best Books for Teens. Locus top sci-fi novels published before 1990 and Damien Broderick's science fiction, the 101 best novels from 1985 to 2010. The Marine Corps professional reading list makes the novel recommended reading at several lower ranks and again at officer candidates slash midshipmen. In introducing the novel for use in leadership training, a Marine Corps university's, uh, the Jeune Jeune program um, says that it offers quote lessons in training method methodology leadership and ethics yeah this was a red flag when i saw this (laughs) when i saw that on the imdb trivia facts i was like red flag flag, red flag flag. marine corps is like this is great that's a red flag The New York Times writer, uh, Gerald Jones, asserts that the novel's plot summary resembles, quote, grade Z made for television science fiction ripoff movie, but says that Card develops the elements well, despite this, quote, unpromising material. Jonas further praises the development of the character Ender Wigan, quote, alternately likable and insufferable. He is a convincing little Napoleon in short pants. The thing I am halfway through this book. The thing that is the most striking to me is how clearly. How clearly that fuckwit that wrote uh, Ready Player One idolized Orson Scott Card. This book. Why is that? Ready Player One is it's just ender's game in a different skin suit like kind of i mean not really there's a whole whole vast ender's game is a much better novel like much better (laughs) written um but it's very clear that a lot of inspiration for ready player (laughs) one came from ender's game and and alternatively alternatively likable and insufferable uh protagonist (laughs) is one of those things that yeah in 1991, Card made several minor changes to reflect the political climates of the time, and this was the only example that I had, uh, including the decline of the Soviet Union. So there was more than that. Yeah. And I'm surprised he made this other change. Maybe the editors made him do it. I don't know. <laughs> like, or a publisher, like, made him do it. Because they're in the original version. This book has an N-word in it. Oh. That... The one I'm re- I'm reading the original. Like, yeah, because I bought like a really old copy. Well, yeah. now I know why that library called it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's and it's not in like a historical way that you know it's not like reading Huck Finn or something. Right. Like, it's, it's it's literally just it's re- and it's and it's a whole section that they just change where they just it's just racist for like. Yeah four sentences and then they're like let's get rid of that i would bet money the publisher (laughs) made him do that (laughs) yeah um and it's the whole section and you can look up because i actually found all of the i found if you google like 
Ender's Game 1991 changes. You can find forums where people have documented like all of the changes. There's not yeah. that many, but there's because there's like another one that was like um, there's a line in the book somewhere about how um, there was the, the shuttle program had a perfect safety record because the book was written right before the Challenger disaster mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, the Challenger explosion. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so they changed yeah. that to since the early like instead of saying a perfect record of safety, changed it to like since the early days of the shuttle program or something like that mm-hmm. to kind of like, and there was a handful of things like that, but this one section is just two characters, including Ender, uh, two of our main characters, uh, making racist jokes back and forth um, <laughs> about themselves, but also about other people. And it's like, As it's very do. clearly like this is, it, 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 it falls very clearly and we'll talk about it in the main episode, but it falls very clearly into like, uh, see, they're joking about it. It's fine. Yeah. But it's not good. <laughs> it's real weird and bad. <laughs> so that's one of the other things that got changed in a later version. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll talk more about it in the episode. Oh, I'm really glad I bought that version. <laughs> you wouldn't have even known. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, because the what they changed it to completely scrubs. Because I saw mm-hmm. the updated version, it completely scrubs any of the any of that. Like yeah. Even like the less offensive parts of it, <laughs> it scrubs even like the, it's just like, ah, we're not doing any of that anymore. It leads to homophobia. It does leave uh-huh. the like subtle homophobia in that part, but scrubs all those, the very overt racist stuff. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 Uh, and my last note, um, aside from the film that we'll be discussing, Ender's Game has also been adapted as an audio play, a limited comic series, and a video game that never came to fruition. Which would be a weird game because you would just be playing video games inside. <laughs> a, well, they don't only play video, video games. Videogameception. There's actually, because they play like a laser tag style game uh-huh. as well. But anyways, at least so far to where I am. I think there, I think there's other stuff later on down the road. It's probably why they couldn't make it into an interesting game. Like, I think you like, could. I think you could. It would be tough. I think you could make I like they, the. That's what I'm saying. Like they probably couldn't figure out how to do it. No, oh, I bet. Yeah. Well, it's probably just they. Well, they probably were working on the game as a tie-in with the movie or something, and it <laughs> and it never panned out or whatever, you know. And then the movie <laughs> bomb. Speaking of the movie, let's now talk about Ender's Game, the film. We need minds like yours, Ender. You'll be the finest commander we've ever trained. So I'm not the first. No. But you will be the last. I'll do everything I can to win this war. You really don't see them as children, do you? If you succeed, you will be remembered as a hero. a 2013 film written and directed by Gavin Hood, who's known for X-Men Origins Wolverine, that's the bad one, Sotsi, and Eye in the Sky. Sotsi, Totsi, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's a South African word. It's T-S-O-T-S-I. T-S-O-T-S-I, and I tried to look it up, and I forgot to look it up is what I did. I didn't try, I just forgot to look it up. Which was an award-winning adaptation about a young criminal in Johannesburg who steals a car and realizes that there's a baby in the back seat, and it's about like what happens—a moral quandary. It was like it's kind of like a City of God from the look of what I, from what it looked like from the the posters and stuff that I saw. Kind of reminds me of like City of God or something like that. If people have seen City of God, that kind of like Mm -hmm. grimy like drama, Mm -hmm. very much like um, film festival bait kind Mm -hmm. of thing, Uh, but but supposedly very good. Um, and I can see why then they would tick, pick, pick him for this because it's like a kid thrust into a very sort uh-huh. of like screwed up world uh-huh. and forced and, and committing violence and, you know, and like the ramifications of the, you know, so yeah. like I could see yeah, why yeah. they thought like he would make sense for this. Yeah. And it was an adaptation, uh, apparently. Origins Wolverine, though. That's rough. Yeah, that's the bad one <laughs> with uh, where Ryan Reynolds yeah. played Deadpool for the first time and, yeah. and they give him sword arms and yeah. laser eyes. <laughs> And it's the worst thing ever. Yep. 
the film stars Asa Butterfield, Harrison Ford, Ben Kingsley, Viola Davis, Haley Steinfeld, Abigail Breslin, Aramis Knight, Siraj Parthasarath, Moises Arias, Kylan Rambo, and Jimmy Pinchak. The film has a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 51% on Metacritic, and a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, which is actually better than I the, thought. Yeah, the, I was going to say that was higher than I was like expecting. Uh, it is you better to than say. I, I thought. Um, so I'll be interested to see. Uh, it made $125 million against a budget of $115 million. Ooh. So gigantic Oof. flop. <laughs> and that, that $115 million, usually that budget does not include marketing which is like that money again usually (laughs) um so yeah a huge flop absolutely huge flop uh the film was nominated for three academy of science fiction fantasy and horror film awards for best science fiction film best supporting actor for harrison ford and best performance by a younger actor for asa butterfield so since the beginning card had been reluctant to sell the rights to his novel for an adaptation And in 1996, he co-founded Fresco Pictures and then decided to adapt the screenplay himself. In 2003, he submitted a screenplay to Warner Brothers, at which time, and I wasn't expecting these names to show up, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were hired to collaborate on the script. Wow. (laughs) Uh, uh, Of of Game of Thrones fame. Yeah. Uh, And and infamy. With Wolfgang Peterson attached to direct, uh, Wolfgang Peterson, who's done uh, a movie we did, The NeverEnding Story, but also directed Das Boot, Outbreak, and Troy, which we did Outbreak on. Yeah, we talked about that on Patreon. Yeah, Um, at the time, and this was back in 2003. Uh, Nothing ended up coming of this, and then four four years later, uh, Card wrote a completely new treatment of the script, and at the time he was talking about it. He stated that the two biggest obstacles were figuring out how to externalize Ender's thoughts and how to make it work for people who hadn't read the book, which is oh, like, I'll be the judge of that, sir, which is like, duh. Well, also, you won't because this is not he didn't write the script for this movie. I'm still going to be the judge of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just thought that was funny because it's like, yeah, man, that's that's <laughs> like the biggest thing with almost any adaptation. Yeah. Usually, <laughs> yeah, usually not. I mean, not necessarily always, but like a lot of the times. So then in 2010, Gavin Hood was announced as writer-director, uh, and at, to this point, uh, Orson Scott Card had written about six versions of the scripts, and then when Hood joined on, uh, he decided uh, to fuse Ender's Game with its parallel novel, Ender's Shadow, which he mentioned earlier, and I'm just going to explain what that is real quick. Ender's Shadow takes place at the same time as Ender's Game, came out in like 1999 or something like that, came mm-hmm. out like decades later or a decade or something it might even been the early 2000s or something it came out yeah so not quite two decades later. at least 10 years if not yeah. 20 years after um ender's game it takes place at the same time as ender's game but it's from the perspective of a character named bean who's a minor <laughs> character in ender's game which i don't think i've been introduced to bean or if i have <laughs> it they have a different name or so i i don't think i've been introduced to this character yet um so far i am not reading ender shadow it's 500 pages long <laughs> Uh, so anything in the episode that I attribute to this film may in fact be from Ender Shadow. So I just want to preface this and I'll say it again during the main episode. There may be things that I'm like, oh, that wasn't in the book. Mm-hmm. That's a movie thing. I like that or I don't like that or whatever. Those may be things that are in Ender Shadow. But I do. I'll try to look up at least a little bit of it and see. Yeah. But I'm not. I like I said. I just. Don't, I can't read Ender Shadow before we do. I didn't know that there was. Like I didn't a know. I didn't of, either. I had no idea. Um, I'm 500 pages. No, thank you. That's the paperback. It's like 380 in hardback, but the paperback of Ender's Game is like 330. So, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah it's like, uh, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, so that's who knows. I'm sure that I'm sure the, the good people who have read Ender's Shadow will. Yes, will let, we'll, us, we'll let know. us know. So in an interview with uh, Brigham Young University's newspaper, Card said that the screenplay was, quote, 100% hoods. So that's why I said you will not be the judge of whether or not. (laughs) I mean, you can still. But supposedly the screenplay uh, was is uh, and he's the only one credited on for the screenplay is. uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. Is Gavin Hood. So in 1999 interview, which was back when they first started, which Mm -hmm. is right after he formed a studio and was first working on an adaptation. He had stated in an interview uh, that Jake Lloyd was being considered for the role of Ender Wigan. Uh, obviously, that never came to pass, but if the name Jake Lloyd doesn't ring a lot of bells, this might. That's a neat trick. No. Well, now this is pod racing. <laughs> He's Anakin Skywalker oh. in Phantom Menace. 
Good for him. And then, uh, yeah, he's, he was Anakin Skywalker in The Phantom Menace. Uh, and Orson Scar Card even had to be a dick about that and was like, uh, and don't worry about how shitty he was in that movie. It's the director and like the five. screenwriters. Well, and that, that's what he's saying. He's, he, I mean, he's kind of being nice in the sense that he he said that he thought the the performance wasn't on the kid. It was on the, the script and I the guess. direction. So, but still, um, he was trying to assure fans that if, if, if Jake Lloyd was cast, because everybody hated that Anakin Skywalker, like a lot of people did at the time. I never had an issue. He was a literal he was child, a little kid being you guys. A little kid. I never had an issue with it, but whatever. In a separate, in a different interview uh, the year before, 1998, Card had mentioned that he was considering changing Hiram Graff, uh, Colonel Hiram Graff, who's one of the main characters, is who uh, Harrison Ford plays in uh-huh. the movie, to a female character, and was rec- and was considering a dry comic for the role, such as Janine Garofalo or Rosie O'Donnell, which would have been wild. Hey, money to see Rosie O'Donnell in a movie like this. In the role money. That, that a decade later, or 15 years later, went to Harrison Ford, we could have had Rosie O'Donnell. Come on! <laughs> Uh, and then also in that same interview for the role of Mazer Rackham, who's like a legendary historic war hero, uh-huh. uh, who, who's played by Ben Kingsley okay. in this modern version, I believe. Um, Card suggested Andre Brower or Will Smith for that role. Two, Andre Brower I... yeah, is, if you don't know, if the name doesn't ring a bell, because it didn't to me, but I, I it did, but barely, is... Um, He's Captain Holt. He's Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine is like the role I know him from, but he's been in lots of stuff. Right. Now, I will say I don't think I've seen him in anything other than Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but like based on his character from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I feel I'm imagining like two extremely different vibes. Yeah. Between him and Will Smith. Yeah. In general, I, I agree that they're not the same, exactly quite the same type of thing. But I think they because I think. If you've seen After Earth, Will Smith's character in After Earth, I think, is kind of close okay. to the idea of of like what Andre Brower would do. It's just like that stern military guy, because that is kind of what. Yeah, not kind of. That's exactly what Will Smith does in After Earth. But anyways. I haven't actually seen that. I didn't watch that with you. Yeah. Yeah, we did it on Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad. It's yeah. actually my favorite episode I've ever edited of Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad, but not necessarily my favorite episode of the show, but it's my favorite edit of the of Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad that I've ever done. In July 2013, the group Geeks Out boycotted the film in protest uh, of Orson Scott Card's views on homosexuality and same-sex marriage. The calls for a boycott were picked up by uh, media and stuff like that. In response to this boycott, Card released a statement in July 2013 to Entertainment <laughs> oh Weekly. Ender's Game is set more than a century in the future and has nothing to do with political issues that did not exist when the book was written in 1984. As we all know, gay people didn't exist in 1984. (laughs) As we all know, as we all know, gay people did not exist in 1984. They were trying their damnedest to make them not exist in 1984. Um, uh, has nothing to do with political issues that did not exist when the book was written in 1984. With the recent Supreme Court ruling, the gay marriage issue becomes moot. The full faith and credit clause of the Constitution will, sooner or later, give legal force in every state to any marriage contract recognized by any other state. Now, it will be interesting to see whether the victorious proponents of gay marriage will show tolerance towards those who disagreed with them when the issue was still in dispute. This guy needs to get punched in the face <laughs> so many fucking times by, like, weak people, people who won't hurt him too bad, but just, bur- like, give him a black eye. Oh, my God. What? This, he must be the most insufferable motherfucker. <laughs> that last, just the pure gall. To be out here calling for gay people to be thrown in jail and to, and 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 fucking out here arguing and writing all these uh, essays about how it's all an abomination and it'll fucking destroy civilization and then be like, well, we'll see if you guys are tolerant. So much for the tolerant. Le- like I, oh, he's he's like a caricature. Of, he's just every current yeah. right wing pundit. Yeah. Like he he does. He feels like an amalgamation of all of them. It's just amazing. Uh, let's see if you'll show tolerance towards those who disagreed. You were trying to throw gay people in jail, man. The fuck are you talking about? <sighs> so, uh, getting into some of the stuff uh, in the movie itself, uh, for the the battle room takes place in zero G. 
it's like they're on a space station and the battle room itself does not have artificial gravity where they have their battle games or whatever. Um, and for so they shot that with wire work and a combination of other things. But the actors had to train for a month um, in order to do the, the scenes in there. And they actually trained with uh, Cirque du Soleil members so that they could perform the wire stunts and stuff mm. for the zero gravity scenes. So in this film, Ben Kingsley, as I mentioned, plays Colonel Rackham. Uh, I don't know if it's Colonel. I guess it might be. It's Mazer Rackham, who says he's a Maori from New Zealand. Okay. The accent that Ben Kingsley attempts in the film, this is according to the IMDb trivia, so I don't know, is apparently one-third New Zealand, one-third South African, and one-third Australian. <laughs> An intriguing mix of all three, what? according to this commenter. So this is somebody on... on on IMDb who just like was like watching this movie and was like that is not a New Zealand accent that is New Zealand mixed with South African mixed with Australian um, but I'm not good enough at accents to know but the thing that I thought was wild is the character is canonically Maori in the book and in the film let's see you need a Maori actor who has experience in sci-fi films and can play a stone-cold badass nah nobody's coming to mind on that one Tamar Morrison is a person that exists. Like, what are you doing? Why would you, why would you not cast Tamar Morrison in that role? This is, you know, years after he's already been. He was uh, Boba Fett. No, he was Jango Fett. No, he was Boba Fett. Yeah, he was Boba Fett in the prequel series. You fake fan. Well, he's Boba Fett. I say that. I'm saying why not say no? He, he's Boba Fett in the prequel series. Um, but yeah, Boba Fett from Book yeah. of Boba Fett. That's Tamar Morrison. He's actually Maori, and he's like he does like. This like the reserved like mm -hmm. cold yeah. badass thing like that's yeah. what he does like I just don't understand why I don't know it's so weird to me um, but now they got Ben Kingsley and I'm sure there are other people too but this Tamara Merson just looks like immediately I was like wait what why would you not get okay uh, so getting to a few reviews uh, Peter De Bruges of Variety magazine called the film quote an impressive thought provoking astro adventure that benefits from the biggest screen available end quote Richard Ropert uh, of the Chicago Sun-Times, who replaced Ebert. Mm -hmm. um, Ebert was dead at this point. Uh, praised, quote, the stunning and gorgeous visuals covering every inch of the screen and describes the film as, quote, a challenging adventure that should satisfy most young fans of the book while keeping the adults engrossed as well, end quote. So they liked it. Mark Bernadin of The Hollywood Reporter, though, was critical of the lack of empathy and the shallowness of the story and wrote, quote, if only adapter director Gavin's hood movie had been tempered with craft and care and wasn't such a blunt instrument. One that seems designed as a delivery system for CGI daring do instead of the heartbreaker. It should be end quote. I don't know. We'll see. I'm uh, before we, I don't know what I'm going to feel about this adaptation. Cause I uh -huh. don't know what I feel about this book so far. Like I said, I'm halfway through and it's, it's a mixture, and I, I don't know, I just do my whole feelings, but it's such a weird mixture of like, oh boy, I don't know about this. And, but this is, it's written pretty well. Like, it's mm -hmm. written in a way that I get why it would be engrossing and why it was so popular. And mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's a well crafted world and a, an, an engaging, engrossing world. But boy, are there a lot of red flags and questionable things yeah. happening that make me worry about where everything is going. <laughs> but, anyways. Oh, uh, so this is a patron request. Oh, it's the name change patron. There you go. Mm -hmm. From jumped the gun on the name because I'm excited for the bugs. There you go. That would make sense if that person yeah. recommended yeah. this one or requested this one. Katie, where can people watch Ender's Game? Uh, well, as always, you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you happen to still have one. Mm -hmm. You can also watch it with a subscription to HBO Max, HBO, DirecTV, or Spectrum TV. Or you can rent it for around 3 to $4 through Apple TV, YouTube, Redbox, DirecTV, or AMC Theaters On Demand. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to say that... Or pirate it. <laughs> or pirate it. But if you're not if you don't if you're not comfortable pirating it, you're getting it from your library is a pretty good Probably option. Probably the best option. Yeah. Um for two reasons. One is that yeah, like your library does buy a copy of the movie up front. Yeah. But you're there's not money going to Orson Scott Card with right. every like rental like yeah. there is if you get it through I assume YouTube if you rent it through other services that yeah there is there's you know, some, some kind of like residual royalty probably. like built into that yeah. and two 
you're also doing good by helping your local library's right. circulation yes. statistics. So you yeah. can feel good about that. At That's least. maybe that can balance out the scales a little bit. <laughs> we we're getting it from the library. Yes. I I've already requested it. It is coming in from a different library. Uh, FYI, at least if you are in America, I don't know how library systems work in other countries. Mm. Um, but I think most states have an interlibrary loan system. Yeah. So uh, even if your library, your local library doesn't have something, you can ask the librarian and they will help you get it from another library. Yeah. But if you do have to, you know, if, if you have HBO Max and that's the, the easy, only way you can watch it, yeah. you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. But, but yeah, if you can find another avenue to get it, yeah. then go for that. Yeah. If you if you would like another avenue. Yes. Yes, there you go. Your local library is a pretty solid choice. Fantastic. All right. That's going to do it for this prequel episode. Boy, oh boy. Poisoned the, this is the epitome of poisoning the well. Before we get to the, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a well that deserves to be poisoned because it is poisoned. It's not, we didn't poison it and that motherfucker did. <laughs> you poisoned your own well. <laughs> it's not our fault. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, like I said, I'm halfway through. It's, it's not Dune. It's not a masterpiece like Dune, but it is very good, but also very weird. Not weird. Like I said, there's just so many like little things, and I'm like, oh, God, this I'm gonna, is... I'm going to be honest. I'm really glad that you're reading this one. Yeah, that's and why I read it, because I was think, like... Thanks I, this... for taking one for the team this time, babe. I, I will say, it because it is so... Com- I think you wouldn't... I think you would move through it pretty quick, because it is... That's the thing I've known. I've read, like, I, I just started reading it not that long ago, and I'm already halfway through. It's not that long a book anyways. But it is compelling enough that, like, mm-hmm. and it, like I said, it's well-written enough and paced in a way that that, is, that works really well to where it is a, a bit of a, you know, you can move through it really quick. Yeah. So I haven't had trouble, like, kind of clipping through it um, relatively quickly. So, like I said, take that for what it is. But, <laughs> boy, there's there's some stuff in it and we'll talk about it in the main episode in one week's time and until that time guys gals non binary pals everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and keep, keep being awesome. awesome keep fucking punching orson scott card in the face don't do my lawyer is telling me that you shouldn't punch <laughs> orson scott card in the face but if it happened but his if his face were to happen to be if his face were to happen to he were to trip and fall onto your fist you know what would you do? Yeah, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?